This podcast is sponsored by Adaptive Path. Adaptive Path helps to create products and services that deliver great experiences and improve people's lives. Learn about upcoming events like UX Week, the UX Intensive Workshop at adaptivepath.com slash events. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to promote thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. At MX San Francisco, I had the pleasure of speaking with Cordell Ratzlaff, who is currently leading product design for Cisco's voice, video, and web collaboration products. We discuss his presentation entitled, Creating the Next iPod. As a former lead with DesignFrog and Apple, Cordell recognized that in order to create simple solutions that the whole world will fall in love with, such as the iPod, organizations need to change the culture from within. As he stated at the end of this presentation, if you want to create great products, you need to create a great culture. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Cordell uh, Ratzlaff uh, gave a great presentation in, uh, today at MX San Francisco, and uh, you are the leading product design for Cisco's voice, audio, and web collaboration products, and you gave a presentation called Creating the Next iPod. Interesting title. Can you maybe talk to our listeners a little bit about how you came up with that? Yeah, actually, the, the reason I chose that as a title is I'm getting so sick of hearing about the iPod. It's like every, um, you know, every meeting or design discussion, somebody always brings up the iPod. So part of it was just let's stop, let's get beyond the iPod. Right. Um, but part of it was also, you know, when I was uh, when I worked at uh, at Frog, um, just about every client that came to us at some point would mention we want to be the iPod of whatever industry they were in. And I'd, I'd sit back and I'd think, you know, you really don't know what you're asking for because it's not just about the product, the design of the product. It's really about how you go about designing the product and the culture that supports that product. So as an intro to uh, my talk, which was really about um, how do you create a culture that fosters good design, um, I started with the iPod um, because I think it's a great example of how people think, well, there's the iPod, it's really cool, it's so simple and easy, it must have been easy to design and we just, you know, we just want to replicate that. When in reality it isn't, it isn't that easy at all. Well, that was, a, that was a big theme of your presentation was the idea of, you know, getting to simple is actually very difficult. Yes. Right. It, take, yeah. it, it takes an extraordinary process, and, and another thing that's obviously very difficult to change is that of corporate culture. Absolutely. Right. As, as, as social animals, human beings, we just we hate change. Yeah. Right. In general, but trying to change that within a corporation with, you know, you know, even if it's ten people, I would imagine it's tough to change. But you also worked for Apple for a while. I did. Well, I worked right? for Apple for nine years. Exactly. And and what did you do at Apple? I headed up the user interface group for Mac OS. Okay. So my team did. Um, uh, we did versions of macOS from macOS 8 through the first release of macOS 10. Okay. And in your presentation, you were talking about how you had to sort of lead the charge of changing the user interface on, on macOS, and uh, the designers weren't, uh, weren't too pleased about that. I yeah, and, and I, it was a, that came as a surprise to me. In fact, yeah. that's probably the, the one lesson that was the most surprising for me in the, in, um, in the whole macOS 10 project was how resistant people were to change. Um, and I guess looking back on it, I shouldn't have been surprised because, uh, as you mentioned, you know, people really, really don't like change. And here we were um, making changes to uh, a product that had a fanatical user base. Um, I mean, we got, anytime we made changes to the UI, we got 
hate mail and petitions. <laughs> so, really? That so, bad? Eh? Yeah. So I remember when, you know, in, in Mac OS 8, we changed the system font from the Chicago, which was the original font right. in the original Macintosh, to, uh, to charcoal. And we literally got somebody put up a, uh, a website, which in those days was a big deal, www.charcoalsucks.com. And, <laughs> and they had an online petition for, and hundreds of people signed this, were, were protesting the change to the system font. Really? So we knew if, um, you know, we could only imagine that if people were that upset about that small a change, what would they do when we changed the whole thing? Right. Yeah, exactly. I have a background in psychology, and uh, I led a, a computer-human interactions group last year in Ottawa. And uh, so you talked about this idea that uh, in order to create a change of culture, you need to admit that you have a problem. That's right. Sort of move yourself out of denial, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And. Uh, and that's a again. I, maybe that's maybe that's a key point as to why people are resistant to change because they don't realize they don't think there is a need to change. That's right. right? There's that's no right. problem. So that's right. right. And you know the situation at Apple at that time was was pretty dire. And right. it's it's really it's not until you really get to a critical state when you're open to doing things differently. Um, you know, at that time, and we're talking '97. Mm -hmm. um, Apple uh, was in pretty bad financial state. Um, the uh, we had. Um, we had a really confusing and bloated product line. Um, we had a failed operating system strategy. We had um, uh, developers, which are the lifeblood of any operating system, were abandoning the platform. And um, in fact, at one point, um, I think Apple was really literally a couple months away from bankruptcy. Wow. Um, so here we, here we are, coming up with a whole, whole new product strategy. And making a lot of changes, so we were, you know, we cut a lot of uh, products that you know people liked. We made big changes to some of the other ones, like like the operating system. But um, you know, we kind of looked at it, and you think, well, we've got two percent of the market share. We're about ready to go out of business. What do we got to lose, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I think you can contrast that with let's take uh, an example, uh, Microsoft Vista. Okay, um, and you know. It took, uh, I think it was five years for Microsoft to, uh, to come out with, uh, with Vista from the time they started it as Longhorn. And you know, Microsoft has a lot of smart people. <clears throat> they have a lot of people in general, so they certainly have the resources, they've got the talent to do that. So why did it take them that long to get an operating system out? Operating systems are hard, but five years. And uh, I think the real reason was because they could get away with it. Um, when you've got eighty percent of the market share, you know there's really no crisis that you have to have to really hurry to get something out. Yeah. There's no motivating factor, right? Yeah. I'm Mike, we're Microsoft. What difference yeah. does it make whether it takes three years or That's thirty right. years? It's not going to matter. We're, we're People are going to wait, yeah. and we're still going to be. Well, I made a bet with a friend of mine that that may not be true in the next few years, but uh, <laughs> I'm probably going to lose that bet. But I, you know, sort of. Hoping, but a lot of a lot of my experiences with Microsoft are a lot of similar people. Like I switched over to Mac about a year ago, mm -hmm. simply because of the user experience yeah. with, with Windows. You know, I would be working on large scale projects and I'd get the blue screen to death, and, and it would keep crashing and crashing. And friends of mine kept telling me, "Just well, go buy a Mac, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. You know, you won't have any problems." And I've been, I've been happy to say, I've been thrilled with it. No blue screens of death, and everything just everything just works. You know, yeah. you turn it on and it, it just works, just like the iPod, right? It's yeah. very simple, and everything just works all the time. Yeah. Um, in your presentation, you also talked about uh, the quote, I think uh, you talked about you can't expect to do things differently by doing the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. It reminds me of uh, actually Alcoholics Anonymous' um, <laughs> quote about the definition of insanity, right, is doing yeah, the same yeah. thing and expecting different results. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I think that just speaks back to that, that idea that we were talking about earlier. You know, yeah. you, can't, you can't create change when you don't know there is change to be made, but you, know, yeah. you continually see 
companies throw themselves into this kind of chaos, right, where they're continuing to do the same thing, like you're noting with Apple, probably back when they were close to bankruptcy, mm -hmm. they were doing the same things. You know, we talked a lot about, you talked about, obviously, your focus of the conversation was on culture. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the culture was like at Apple uh, prior to Steve Jobs coming on? Yeah, so um, there, there was a joke we used to tell at Apple prior to Steve coming back that uh, a vote of 10,000 to 1 counts as a tie. <laughs> because it was a very, it was a very, um, I don't want to say collaborative, but you had all these different groups, right. and um, you had a lot of smart people at Apple, and the tendency was to think your group is the smartest, you know how to do everything better than anybody else. So when it came time to uh, work together with another group, it was really hard to get people together. On the other hand, though, um, you really couldn't move forward unless you got everybody to agree, and because it was hard to get everybody to agree, things slowed down. So um, uh, when Steve came back, the, the culture changed dramatically, and uh, we then turned the joke into, well, a vote of 10,001, if Steve has the one vote, then the one vote's going to win. Um, <laughs> so it became a very different, very different culture, and it was hard. It was, that, that was a time when um, it was really difficult to work at Apple. There was a lot of change there, and, um, and a lot of people left. As a result of that, but it's that's where um, I think the success that Apple has today is is really a result of those uh, the changes that were made back then. Yeah, exactly. Because in your presentation, you also talk about the idea of three conditions necessary for a cultural change. Mm -hmm. You talk about a, a critical business need, um, like we just discussed with Microsoft mm -hmm. and Vista, for example, yeah. uh, a committed leader like I Steve see, Jobs yeah. as an example, and uh, and also a, a compelling vision. You yeah. know, it, people need that end state. You know, to yeah. know well where are we going? Like so, you don't run into the yeah. ten thousand to one vote, yeah, right? Exactly. And you know, I can speak to what we did for for Mac OS ten. Sure. Is we had, um, I mean, I remember when we started thinking about what we wanted to do in the interface when we decided we were going to redesign the interface for Mac OS X. Initially, um, I actually went to, um, we went to the, our engineering team and we said, okay, if we want to do, we want to do animation in the interface, we want to do composite shadowing, and we also had other requirements at that time, such as it's got to run on, on, on existing Macs, um, it's got to, at that time it's got to run within, I think, two megs of memory, which we never, never made. But anyways, <laughs> I literally got laughed out of the room because right. it was just going to be impossible to do that. Um, but that was just me talking about the requirements. Sure. Um, but what we did was we went out and we built a prototype of the, you know, what our vision was for how the interface would, would look and how it would work. And that's really what sold the project. Um, if we wouldn't have had that prototype, uh, we never would have gotten, uh, gotten as far as we did. Yeah, exactly. Um, you wrapped up your presentation outlining a few points about how to create change, and uh, a few of them that I that I noted was um, the idea that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, that you, you need to go in and kick some ass once in a while to uh, to get change done, yeah. and uh, yeah. and maybe you can elaborate a little bit on, on that I, that concept or that again I'm paraphrasing. Not yeah, yeah, that's mine. That's, Excuse not, me. that's those are my words. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, going back to. Um, not expecting different results if you're using the same people, people sure. processes. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story about when I when I arrived at Cisco. The so there was a, when I came to Cisco, there was a lot of enthusiasm for doing things differently there. Right. I think there was just pent up demand. A lot of a lot of development teams wanted their product to be better, but there really wasn't a lot of expertise um, to do that. So the idea was kind of okay. We got this guy. He worked at Apple. He's going to come in and he's going to make our products work better. And now that that problem is solved. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Before you even get Before there. Before I get there, right. right. So okay. I'm just my presence there was going to do something. Well, good for you. That's amazing. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, but it, uh, you know, it didn't quite work that way. No. Um, 
because because uh, people said, okay, you're here, but things kept going on the same way they were before. And it wasn't until we did some things that really got people's attention that we were serious about doing this, that we really started to, to see change. And the, you know, the, the story I, I related was um, one of the first, one of the things we did was um, we had when I got there, there was uh, one one product in particular had it was just about ready to ship. Um, it was terrible. Uh, it would have been embarrassing to to have that come out. But you know, you look back and um, you know the project team had done everything. You know, according to the general process that Cisco had, so they, sh you know, if I hadn't been there, they would have just gone ahead and, and shipped it. But I went to the um, uh, the general manager of the business unit who owned the product, and I said, "Look, this just isn't this just isn't um, isn't good enough to go out." And he agreed, and we really used that as an opportunity to send a message to the organization that we were really serious about that. Um, and it worked um, because this was something that was uh, we, we canceling the project um, after we had spent you know months of the development effort um, was something that you know rarely if ever happens at Cisco. So uh, that that got people's attention. That was probably actually that was probably one of the turning points when we really started to gain momentum in uh, in changing the culture. And um, you know my point in the presentation was it's 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 always better to do that sooner rather than later because you're going to have to get through it and you might as well do it do it right away because yeah. then um, you're not wasting time. But you should also look for opportunities to do that. And, and that sort of that sort of ties in with the, with with one of the other points around the idea of being a rebel, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to you have to you have to be a bit of a rebel. You have to kind of you know run across the grain a little bit in mm -hmm. order to create change, and it, it's painful, but that pain leads to new ideas. Right? That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, and um, it's uh, it's not always. Um it's not always easy either. No. Um, <laughs> no, well, people. I find most people don't know how to engage in conflict, right? Yeah. A lot of yeah, this, this exactly. idea, right? Like, yeah. well, how do I talk to someone else and engage them in a discussion, knowing that it's going to push their buttons, yep. so to speak, right? Yeah. But knowing that coming out of that, right, on the the, the far end of that conversation, you're going to be, oh, like, yeah. look at what we can do, right? Exactly. And exactly. like you said, then that helps to change the corporate culture, yeah. like you just illustrated. And you have to, you kind of have to be willing to to know that. People are going to think you're crazy because you're coming at it from a very different, <laughs> uh, very different perspective. Yeah. I'll tell you, and this, this, I, I saw this happen at Apple, and I, I saw this happen at Cisco. There is a period of time if you keep doing that, um, you can almost see it. You can see when when the when the light switch goes on for people, and they get it. And then from that point on, um, some of those people who were the skeptics can be your biggest advocates. Exactly, and going back, just one of the one of the uh, one of the other points that you made uh, tied into the idea about how some people left Apple, but how that transition helped was uh, you put up a point called "Follow the Pirates Code." Yeah, I thought that was yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Can you expand <laughs> on that a little bit? I love that. So idea. the Pirates Code is um, those who fall behind get left behind. It's another thing that uh, if you're going to make this change, um, there are some there, there are always going to be people who are either uh, unwilling or unable to go along with that. And it's better to get rid of those people sooner rather than later, because they're only going to drag the people down who really want to go through with the change. Which stifles innovation and creativity yeah. and everything else, I would yeah. imagine, right? Yeah. And uh, the, the last point that I just want to touch on briefly on your presentation was this concept of a show, don't tell, right? The, the importance of prototypes and, and getting things out there. Can you yeah. elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, you know, I've never, uh, I, I can't think of anything that is more powerful for getting ideas across than a, a working model of something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I have seen, and, and I saw this a lot when I was at Frog, because we used to, you know, we used to sell design services. And I've never seen a, a project really sell based on a financial analysis or ROI if that's all you do up right. front. 
Um, because people will always look at that, and they'll even if you, your numbers are right, they'll question the numbers, or they'll question the assumptions that you make. And it just comes down to, unless you can really touch people emotionally, you're, you're, it's going to be hard to sell them on that. What a prototype does is it really helps people envision the end goal. And it not only, if, if something that they can, they can see and touch and experience themselves, it's much easier for them to get emotionally involved in it. And it's like, um, uh, it's like the prototype tells a story, mm -hmm. but it's even more than a story. It's not a story that one person will tell another. It's actually putting the person in the story themselves because now they're interacting with the product. Mm -hmm. And I found that if you can get people excited about a concept through a prototype, you can kind of come up with whatever financial justification you need. And I've seen that happen up to up to you know the CEO levels. You you think that you know, you would think that uh, particularly when large amounts of money are involved, that people would make look at it very rationally, right. and make decisions based on logic and the numbers. But I found it's just the opposite. The bigger the bigger the, the more that's at stake, the more that's an emotional decision for people. Absolutely. Well, Cordell, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today, and uh, again, a brilliant presentation. Oh, thank you very much. Thank My you. pleasure. Cheers. Yeah.